Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest in our sustainability podcast. My name is Michael Bennett. I'm a legal director at Shoesmiths. I'm very pleased today to be joined by Helene Pantelidou, uh, the associate director of Infrastructure London, decarbonisation lead at Arup, uh, and Louis Strangari, the principal ESG consultant at Arup. So welcome to both of you. Hello. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, and today we're here to talk about whole life carbon management and reduction and the new past 2080 updates uh, that are coming out fairly soon. And we'll get into a bit more about what past 2080 is in a minute. Um, but I thought the best place to start was with the, the whole life carbon management and reduction uh, and why that is important and what it really means. So, uh, Helene? I can have a go at that. So, we are, as we, you probably uh, uh, all know we are in the middle of a climate crisis. Reducing the carbon emissions in everything that we do is essential, and including emissions from construction operation and use of the built environment is also uh, pretty key to it. A big contributor to uh, to carbon across the world. So, of course, quantification is important, and it happens that so happens that most of the time when we talk about carbon, we mean can we count our carbon? But we need to go further. We need solutions and their implementation to reduce carbon. So um, it has to become an integral part to our decision-making across everything that we do in the built environment. That's interesting because we often hear in the news about how awful for, for carbon emissions, concrete production is producing 8% of global emissions and similar with steel production as well, um, the use of natural gas. And we hear a lot now about embodied carbon, but this is more about everything altogether and how you look at that. And that's, I think that's my understanding of what we're talking about. Big time. So, uh, of course, concrete and steel are essential parts of what we do. They are the, the main construction uh, materials, but how we use them sensibly within the available carbon that we are still allowed to to use to decarbonize everything that we do in the built environment is the key that we are currently not very good at. So it's not about saying, no, you can't do this, no, you can't do that. It's how do you consider it all together and uh, assess the best way of going about it and minimizing your carbon reductions at the same time. Um, and so, Luis, we, we're talking about past 2080 here and how does that fit well what is it and how does that fit into uh this whole life carbon management yeah so past 2080 is known as the world's first standard for carbon management in the built environment it essentially describes what good looks like for decarbonization in the built environment so it, it essentially it's a document that outlines the processes and requirements for all value chain members to integrate carbon into decision-making uh, of their projects, their programs of work, their portfolios of assets, and so on. And when I say value chain members, I mean asset owners, asset managers, designers, constructors, product material suppliers, as well as, well as all the way top of the chain, regulators, government authorities, and financiers. And I think the important bit about PASS 2080 is that is the process outlined in the document. So the carbon management process is something that if properly followed um, can lead to real impactful decarbonization in alignment with net zero transition. So potentially one of the answers or the path to something at the top of the agenda of many organizations, institutions, as they try to figure out how to effectively decarbonize their assets after making net zero commitments. 
So this is much more than just what is going on on the ground. And if you don't mind me stealing uh, one of the phrases you used in in our discussions leading up to this podcast, it's about integrating decarbonisation into every decision during a development and the entire cycle around that. Yes, exactly. So we've touched on past 2080 and we've touched on the climate crisis, but why is past 2080 so important to what's going on at the moment? We have a lot of quantification, life cycle assessment standards that are appropriate and very detailed uh, for different parts like buildings, infrastructure uh, and other uh, products and so on. Carbon management should capitalize on those, but also make sure that they are unified and talk across the board. So. Um, the past 28 is bringing in the uh, consistency and the common language. We have been uh, far too long talking cross-purposes when we're discussing whole life carbon and carbon reduction. So if we want to reduce something in a very complex, complex system like the built environment, buildings, infrastructure, um, everything that we do with it uh, are interconnected, we need a common language. So starting with a commonality and consistency so that we identify identify collaboratively common solutions that have great impact in a very short time, should I add. And in that way, it's very different from the other standards we've seen like BRIAM, which is very specifically linked to the individual building or the, the carbon calculations that are being talked about at the moment. Um, Am I right in saying the past 2080, go, it incorporates some aspects of that, but it goes well beyond that into the very core of how a business operates. Is that a fair comparison? Absolutely. And uh, it is, you know, BRIAM, the other sustainability tools that exist out there are absolutely valid to be able to describe where we are and in, in how sustainable something we're delivering is but it doesn't tell you here is how you go about who is, what is the organization and the uh, governance system, the procurement you need to think about to deliver those uh, changes in the in the built environment. So it's almost an, a complete change in the philosophy of how you develop uh, and how you consider what developments are right to do and not right to do and where you should build. It's, it's really about the whole philosophy. Um, and... Part of it, as we've discussed um, offline, is about outcome-led decision-making. So talk me through that process. So when we have a legal obligation to transition to a net zero future, and we have a very limited, a quite uh, increasingly um, uh, constraining carbon budgets to spend between now and then, 2050, um, we need to be absolutely certain that everything that we put in the ground, anything that we build, retrofit, operate, decommission, is got uh, is done within the available carbon budgets and is enabling us to move towards the net zero transition of the whole system. So. These are very new concepts for a very traditional industry like construction uh, and infrastructure, but it's something we need to engage with very, very quickly to make change happen. So it is disruptive. 
And Louis, we were talking about uh, past 2080, but how does this fit into the overall process? What What is it aimed at doing aside from just creating these outcome-led decision processes? Um, how does it fit into the overall development or how, the overall organizational structure, if you will? Yeah. So it, the past fits in many ways and it can be used in many ways, but let me try to clarify in maybe in three examples. So for example, when you look at a building uh, specifically, what single asset pass can be used whilst delivering the project to embed carbon to the center of all decisions. So from the way you set out the planning strategy and the way you go through detailed design all the way to its construction operational stage. So pass can be used to set priorities and identify opportunities for carbon reduction during all the delivery stages. Whereas in comparison, for example, when you look at the, at a whole development, so a master plan or where you have multiple buildings and the supporting infrastructure for it, you, things like phasing and it's a much larger scale uh, scale uh, are are important. So in this case, one can use PASS to develop mechanisms to maximize carbon reduction opportunities across the whole development. So across all the different plots, such as having a carbon management team that drives continued improvement implementing standard process for you know the accounting process so the assessment process across each plot and setting criteria setting targets to be followed by designers constructors and everyone working on the development so that's a way to use it when you're working on a development uh, project whereas in an organizational uh when looking at an organization so if you're a developer for example you can use it in two ways i guess uh mainly firstly for to drive organizational change so by putting governance and leadership mechanisms in place, you can guarantee, for example, that skills and resources will be available to drive change, as well as top-down support or backing is there when strategic decisions need to be made. But also um, by, by following past 2080 principles at an organi organization level, when you think about resources, the management process can help developers to use their investments, their funds, their land, their people, uh, to properly prioritize solutions and actions that lead to effective decarbonization of their portfolio of assets. And this is going to become quite important to organizations going forward, I think, that we all now have the carbon budgets. The individual businesses are targeting net zero. And while past 2080s can be used uh, for individual developments or for as you say, the overall development, if we're talking about a multi-stage build, it's more about getting it into the organization itself and having uh, at the board level all the way down through this core understanding of how carbon sits within the organization, how it's created and the whole life cycle of this development. Um, so where have you found it be, has been used up to now and have, have you had any pushback on this from, from developers and, uh, and well, contractors and all, all groups? So in the construction industry, there is, uh, if we have to recognize that HS2 was the first uh, major project that put the requirement for carbon reduction and carbon management within the contract. So um, that has been in the contract requirements or a certain reduction to be achieved as part of the delivery of the project. Um, it is something that the 
industry, the construction industry has to adjust. And uh, we've learned an awful lot of lessons on, on these contracts that in, in trying to apply it. In that there is an organizational inertia, there is contractual inertia in all this. So um, one of the big lessons we learned is that you cannot have carbon in conflict with your traditional cost and program uh, uh, of delivery. And because that is driving all the wrong behaviors and it's impossible to, to happen. The, on the other hand, carbon is very much more uh, front of the agenda at the moment for everybody. So that organizational change that you mentioned already is super important uh, uh, to make it happen. And that's beyond, that cannot wait until delivery uh, in a while that the project is on site. It has to start much earlier on and much higher up the different organizations. Once you're on site, you've already taken a lot of the decisions. It's too expensive if you leave it for them. Absolutely. And it, it, it's something I've sort of discussed with other people before on podcasts. We've we've taken that first step as a society, and the question around carbon has now changed from why are we doing anything about this to why aren't we doing anything about this, which is in many ways the first step. But are you finding that in order to drive this change towards a whole life cycle, there's another impetus that's required either from government or from uh, maybe the funders of these developments. It, is that still something that we need to push this through? Yes, absolutely. There is clear messaging, clear policy, al although we already have. There is a legal obligation which is spelled out loud and clear, but it's not sector-specific for the time being. So that in itself has, is causing uh, some confusion, some non-clarity. However, you know, the very ambitious um, time scale that we are having, you know, 78% carbon reduction by 2035, that's tomorrow. You know, we are creating for um, stranded assets, if that's uh, the way to describe, if we're not taking into account uh, decarbonization when we're putting these assets in place. The added complication in the built environment is, of course, that the majority, the majority of buildings and infrastructure that we need by far are already here. So rather than focusing on the bright, shiny new builds that are few and far between, there is an enormous amount of work that has to go into how do you decarbonize what's already there and it's not fit for a net zero future. And how are you finding the philosophy of past 20, 80 years sitting with the developers and the, the landlords and large portfolio holders? Uh, are you finding they are able to incorporate it into the decision-making process and still make a healthy margin? Or uh, are you getting pushback on that as well? Yeah. So past 20, 80 and the carbon management process are something new to developers, I would say, because the previous version of the past uh, was mainly for infrastructure asset owners. Now we're incorporating uh, buildings and, you know, treating buildings and infrastructure as one, as part of one building environment. So it's 
it's a new uh, thing for for developers. However, from recent experience with medium and large tier one developers, our recent experience that they're starting to realize how carbon management is what they've always wished for, but they just didn't know there was a name and a well-established process for doing it. So I, I say that because recently more and more developers, especially with the new regulations in the UK, uh, they're asking, for example, designers to undertake uh, carbon assessments of proposed of the proposed works, of the buildings, of the infrastructure. Then they get a number and they ask some questions whether it can be further reduced and then they report it. But they, they're not really sure of what to do with that. So how do they use that process to fit into, how do they fit that into regulations? How do they fit that, that into planning requirements? Uh, and more importantly, how, do, how does that drive better performance outcomes and reduces costs uh, while still reducing emissions across their, their development. So that's where the, pro the carbon management comes in. So they, they knew there was a gap, uh, a few missing steps in the process, but just didn't know there was a name for it, really. That's, that's our recent experience. And when you talk about maintaining a healthy margin, I think there, there are a few things in there. So firstly, when we talk about reducing carbon, Typically, in, in many ways, we're talking about reducing use, the use of resources. And the less you, you, you use resources, the less you have to pay for it, or the, the less are the costs. So that's, that's something that traditionally sits well when you're delivering low-carbon solutions. And when we're talking about carbon management, we're talking about making informed decisions. We're not talking about going for the shiny, eco-friendly solution just because it says so. Uh, when we integrate carbon to the decision making, you, you're essentially changing the way you approach a project. So you look at a pipe and you're changing it from PVC to HDPE simply because it has a lower carbon factor. Or you avoid buying or exporting tons of soil from site just because you have managed to balance cut and fill and reuse the majority of materials already available on site uh, or locally source it from a lo local neighbor. So we have long passed this misconception of taking low carbon solutions for granted as more expensive. I think what we miss in the industry is appropriate uh, financial and contractual mechanisms and business models that allow this decarbonization to be unlocked in the property sector by combining all these multi-factors instead of only focusing in one of them, which is will be the cost. So, well, I think you, you've nicely segued into uh, one of the main reasons we're actually here today to talk about past 2018, and that's the the new updates that are coming. And as you said, this is about uh, all the first time developers will be really targeted with this. So, what what are the changes to past 2080 that are coming? And I think you said they they're coming in April. Yeah, yeah. So, the new update is essentially because, well, as I mentioned, the first version was published in 2016. As we all know, the world has changed a lot since then. So we had, you know, a uh, Paris Agreement coming into you know in, in, coming into actual commitments and you know national budgets and ESG coming to the top of the agenda of institutions, organizations, financial uh, market. So the world has changed a lot. So we had to update the past to reflect that. And the key changes in the document. So first thing, as I mentioned, is the you know treating buildings and infrastructure as one. So as part as as the built environment. Uh, so that's one of the things. So including buildings in the in the update, uh, align. The second point is aligning the document to the net zero transition. 
So putting in the context of carbon budgets and bringing things like systems thinking and, you know, integrating carbon into decision making across all work stages, that's one of the things that we uh, have changed and updated the document to make it really central to, to all, the, all the different clauses that we have in there. Uh, I think thirdly, a lot of the focus in the industry has been on capital emissions or embodied emissions. Uh, whereas, as we mentioned at the beginning, uh, we, we want to look at things from a whole life perspective. So when you look at an asset and you look at a project existing or new, uh, we want to treat that, we want to look at that from a whole life perspective. So covering its, its construction or its decommissioning, its operation, its maintenance, all the stages to have a proper decision on what you want to do with that. And then fourthly, the I think one of the key updates is actually that we're going beyond carbon. So even though PASS 28 is a standard about carbon management, we want to consider the integration of or the consideration of other emergencies or and drivers such as climate resilience and adaptation uh, and think, thinking about the role of things like nature-based solutions and re regenerative land management as part of the carbon management process. So not treating it separately because it's it's all it's all one thing uh, that we should be tackling it together. And yes, it's going to be published uh, on the 5th of April, the, the new update, along with the guidance document. Uh, so it's a standard plus the guidance document, which provides some practical worked examples and case studies and further guidance of how to implement this carbon management process in practice. And this comes back to one of the key things about the standard. It's not just about looking at an individual project. It's not just about looking at an individual building. It's organization-wide and even wider than that. It's uh, the entire complex system of, I mean, perhaps even as wide as the country, if you're talking about larger developments or even internationally, if you're talking about electricity transmission projects or similar to that as well. So we, when you're getting into that level of detail, what does it look like within an organization to have those conversations? What are the key discussions, the key outputs, and how are they used to create that more sustainable development and organization? The a complex system and decarbonizing a complex system of systems like the built environment, as you said, is, you know, the buildings need uh, energy, uh, generation and transmission to function, the transport between different actors, they are all coming together. So thinking that we only need to decarbonize what is within our red line, our boundaries, is not an, an option anymore. So something that has always been in, uh, in past 2080 has been the concept of control and influence carbon, which requires Yes, I will reduce everything that I can in my control in terms of carbon, but I will also collaborate very closely with the other asset owners, uh, managers, uh, um, um, part of the uh, whole value chain to influence the carbon reduction that is beyond my red line. Not just energy efficiency, but avoiding the need for more energy to be generated. Whether decarbonized or not, that is not an efficiency is super important. That has to be breaking down our traditional silos, which time and again has demonstrated is not working. 
there is a lot more emphasis to have carbon as whole life carbon as an integral part into decision making. The key to all this is having a clear governance on who is taking the, the decision on the basis of decarbonization needs and targets. A governance that may or not already be in place in a traditional um, structure of an organization. Moving from away from just ideas generation and into implementing it uh, fast into the portfolio of projects or the priorities of a pipeline, a project pipeline and so on is not something that is just sitting with a sustainability team uh, on the side of the organization, but very much part of the board decision making, which requires good evidence of where the carbon is, but also what are the options for solving it. So quantification is absolutely essential. We need to know how much carbon we need to reduce to get us to a net zero compatible place. So fundamentally also, we have to stop that conversation of, I am going to produce a net zero carbon, any asset. Because net zero is a very helpful concept for all of us to move in the right direction, but can be taken out of context when it's tried to apply it in isolation, which is why we talk about thinking systemically. We want to decarbonize the whole of the sectoral, national, international system that we are involved in, not just, and we're not going to achieve that by trying to decarbonize one asset at a time in isolation. Thank you very much for joining us for part one of this discussion on whole life carbon management. We hope you will join us for part two, where we continue our discussions. Thank you.